This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today, you're listening to episode 26, and I'm talking with Jane Havens. Jane is a certified sleep consultant through the Institute of Pediatric Sleep and Parenting. She was episode 22 on this podcast, and she came on talking about empowering you to help your baby sleep through the night. Well, this time, Jane is back, and we're going to talk about toddler sleep. Baby sleep is a huge deal. Actually, sleep in general is just a huge deal. And one thing I didn't realize when I became a new mom was how difficult toddler sleep would be. I thought, oh, I get my baby sleeping through the night and all is well. Well, that's not exactly what happened here. I'm not the sleep expert, though. That is why I have Jane on the show. She works with families to help get their babies and kids sleeping better through her business, Snooze Fest by Jane Havens. Even though I've been a mom for eight years and have been through the toddler years with almost three of my four kids already, I still had lots of questions and still learned a lot from Jane in this episode. Make sure that you go follow Jane on Instagram if you are interested in these topics. She gives all kinds of great advice over on her Instagram every single day, pretty much. She is snooze fest by Jane Havens over there. Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram with this podcast. Why is everyone yelling is our handle because we're going to be doing an Instagram live with Jane to talk about some sleep tips. All right. You can also find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626 over there. Hey, I want to let you know, we added a fifth show to the Sandy Boy Network. It's called The Urban Pharmacy with Stacey Heine. Her podcast is a place to find everything from evidence-based nutrition tactics, healthy lifestyle and wellness tips, abundance mindset, and easily implementable low-tox living strategies. If you love that show, this show, any of the shows in the Sandy Boy Network, please consider giving us a little love and leaving a rating interview. That is how you can help get these brand new shows that are hopefully filled with entertaining and helpful content for you to implement into your lives off the ground. So you can do that in iTunes or wherever you listen. All right, friends, I hope that you really enjoy this conversation with Jane Havens. Today, back on the podcast, we have Jane Havens on the show. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to talk with you again today. Yes, there are so many sleep topics we can cover. So we did infant sleep in our first episode. So if you're new to the show and you haven't listened, make sure you go back and listen to that one. But today, we're going to talk about toddler sleep, which Jane, I don't know if other people listening felt this way, but... I thought once you got your baby sleeping through the night and everything, it would be all cool and your kids would just sleep until I had toddlers. <laughs> yeah, toddlers can be trickier than infants. And, you know, I think that, sure, establishing healthy sleep habits from the beginning is definitely a great place to start. But even the best of sleepers can sort of unravel in the toddler years if you're not if you're not on top of it. You know, that was one of the questions 
I had come through on Instagram. It was, if our child is either a poor sleeper or great sleeper at one, does that give us any indication of what they'll be like, you know, in future years? What's, what do you say to that question? So I think that establishing healthy sleep habits from early on is a great sort of uh, a great way to have a good, you know, it, it sets you up for success, right? Like your odds are better if your child knows how to sleep from early on. That being said, it's never too late to work on it. And if you have a perfect little sleeper that sort of unravels at some point, that doesn't mean that you can't get back sleep back on track. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, if your child has never really slept well, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't fix it. You know, it's always it's always something that can be worked on. Okay, and let's start off by defining toddler. How do you define toddler? Okay, good question. I'm not really sure. Honestly, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I don't know what I think that like babies at some point, right? Like, 13, 14, I guess it's when they start walking, right? They start toddling, right? Isn't that what the word means? Um, So I think like at some point when they start to walk, that's when they're technically a toddler. Um, I treat infant and toddler sleep very similarly. So it doesn't really matter so much how old they are. You just want to sort of take an approach that aligns with the parenting style of whichever parent you're supporting. That's how I approach it. So you know, I I like to, I like to view it from like the parents angle and like what's going to work for them for their child rather than like, are we working with a six month old or a 18 month old, you know? Yeah. I always said the sweet spot was like, once our baby, our first baby started sleeping through the night, you know, until we had the next newborn because he was sleeping so great. And then we moved him out of the crib to a toddler bed, or it really was just like a regular bed. And we did put one of those railing things up. Um, And that's kind of when the middle of the night ruckus started again, after like such a long time of just like, you're going to bed in your crib. And that's what we do. And, you know, if I could go back, I would not have taken him out of his crib. When I did at two and a half, I would have just bought a second freaking crib. Exactly. Um. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've given that exact advice to parents all over the place. You know, parents are so quick to move their toddlers from a crib to a bed because either a new baby's on the way or they just think their child is old enough and they're excited about that transition for their child. And it's almost always premature. Sure, mm-hmm. there are there are some children that can transition to a bed at, you know, 18 months or two, two and a half, and they do fine. But that is really the exception to the rule. Um, Most children in the early toddler years uh, do not have the impulse control to stay put, you know, you know, like, it's just hard for them, they don't understand. And, and they just, they pop right out of bed without really thinking much of it. Yeah, let's get into that. Because you know, I, well, one, one thing, my advice along with James is like, hold off on that. If there's not an issue, that's what I would do personally, just from my experience. My four-year-old is in a crib still, which is hilarious. Yeah, no, my kids, my kids were both in cribs till four. Okay. Okay. Um, he obviously he's been able to climb out for years. It's just, he feels safe and snug in there. And it's like, he's less likely to get out and he does sometimes, but not very often. That's his space. Um, yeah, but I guess, One of the issues that a lot of people do run into 
which I never did, and I was always so happy about this, is those really young kids that crawl out early of the cribs, like, you know, 18 months and they're crawling out. Yeah. And like, A, that's a safety thing. Totally. Because um, they can fall and get hurt. But B, it's just like that throws a wrench in everything. So maybe let's start there. What do you do if your kid starts crawling out really young? Yeah. So that's really, really challenging. I've worked with a handful of families in that situation and you sort of have two choices. Um, the first option is to communicate with them very effectively that climbing out of the crib is like a hard stop, you know, just like any 18 month old knows that they're not allowed to unbuckle their car seat. They're not allowed to touch the knobs on the stove. They're not allowed to stick their fingers in outlets. They're not allowed to climb out of the crib, right? So communication is a huge piece of the puzzle. And if you can effectively communicate with your young toddler that, you know, this is, this is a firm boundary and it's not safe and it's absolutely not allowed, that would be my preference. Um, sometimes if, if kids climb out of a crib really young, um, and then you effectively communicate with them that that's not safe and, and maybe they got a little bit hurt, you know, like a little bump or a bruise on their way down. Um, sometimes they learn their lesson and they decide to stay put and then it's, it's okay. I think to keep them in their crib, as long as they really understand that they cannot by any means try that again. So that's the first option. Um, the second option, if the child is just repeatedly climbing out and, and you feel like it's unsafe for them to be in a crib, and I would agree with that, uh, the really the best option is to turn their room into a crib. And this is honestly more, more of a hassle than anything else. It's complicated <laughs> because, you know, most nurseries have, you know, several pieces of furniture, like you have a dresser, you have a changing table, you have maybe a a, you know, a chair with an ottoman and a little night table, you know, a little side table next to it. Like there's all this stuff in the room that frankly, like really actually needs to come out. It's not mm -hmm. safe, you know, um, even bolting furniture to walls, like that's one piece of the puzzle, but it's still dangerous for them to open the drawers and then potentially climb into the drawer and have it break. And then they slam onto the floor, you know, it's still dangerous. Mm -hmm. So you know, I tell parents that if their if their 18 month old is climbing out of the crib, that they really need to remove everything from the bedroom and effectively, you know, put a put them in like a low profile bed or a mattress on the floor, and they can put a gate up at the door. Which you know, I really don't see that as locking a child in their room. Like if they were in a crib, they'd be locked in their crib, mm -hmm, right? So this mm -hmm. is just this is just turning their room into a safe place for them. And their entire room becomes somewhere where it's safe for them to be without supervision. I love that idea. Yeah. So talking about safety, when do kids typically start saying like, I'm scared. I want to sleep with you. That's always so hard for me because I'm like, I actually remember being scared as a little girl and not wanting to be alone in my room. And so that makes me sad, you know, if my kid yeah. is actually scared so, yeah. you know, 18 months might be a little young for that, but you know, when you have a two and a half, three-year-old who can really communicate well, telling you they're scared, what do you sure. do? So it's funny you mention it. I actually remember being scared as a child too, but I think I was older. I remember it as like a six, seven, eight-year-old. I remember being I afraid. I do think so, yeah. Of, I think I was older um, too. 
and, and not not to say that two, three, four year olds aren't scared. Maybe you know sometimes they are. Um, I, I personally, and look, there are a lot of ways of looking at this, but the way that I the way I view this is that um, the best way to not be scared anymore is to realize that there's nothing scary, mm. right? So yeah. um, you know, some people will say like, put some monster spray in there and let them spray the monsters mm-hmm. away. No, there's no monsters. Why would right. we be spraying them on? Why would we be spraying <laughs> the monsters away if there are no monsters? We want to tell our children there are no monsters. You're safe, right? So. So I'm not by any means suggesting like close the door and let them freak out and be scared all night long by themselves. It can be a gradual process, but, but the way for a child to realize that it's not scary is to actually successfully be in their room and, and have nothing scary happen, you know? And if parents can't get out of the room because their child is always scared, then in some ways it feels like validating that fear and and making it seem like there really is something scary Mm. in there. You know, Mm -hmm. like we want to validate our children's feelings, but we also want to empower them to, to realize that they can do things on their own and that they are brave. Just like, you know, when you go to, when you go to drop your child off at preschool, which this is similar, right? Like kids are being dropped off into a weird situation, Mm -hmm. new adults, new kids, new building. They don't know where they are and they're scared. But like, we don't hang around for half an hour. We give them a hug, a kiss, a high five, and we leave. And they're a little nervous and they express that through crying, but then they're okay. And then they realize they love it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I sort of think that that sleep with toddlers is similar. We just have to give them an opportunity to realize that they are safe and that they are okay. And showing them that that we believe in them and that we would never put them in a situation that was dangerous or scary. How do you feel about... So when my four-year-old sometimes says he's scared, I always bring him like extra stuffed animals and stuff like that. And I'm like, here, you have extra friends to keep you company. And it actually really works with him. I don't know that it would have my first who was always scared. Um, What do you think about those kind of tactics? I think that that's fine. One thing that I did with my own son when he was little is we would have this little ritual. He wasn't really attached to any particular lovey or stuffed animal or, you know, any toy. But what we would do is it was sort of like a pre-bedtime or pre-nap time ritual where I would say like, go find something that you want to take with you to bed. And it would always be something different. It would be like a die cast Mm -hmm. car. You know, he was old enough where it wasn't dangerous for him to have like a little toy in his crib, Mm -hmm. you know, but it would be like, it would be the most random of things. It would be like, you know, something he found in the kitchen. It would be a random toy that he hadn't played with in months. And what it was more than anything, it was just like a little bit of a distraction and it made bedtime more positive rather than focusing on, I have to go to bed. It was like, what can I find that's fun and interesting to take into my crib with me? And it sort of just lightened the mood. So I'm good with that. I love that. It's, it's reminding me of all these dietitians that I've talked to where it's like, instead of taking things away, add things in. Anybody likes Mm -hmm. that. Add things in. Sure. And in. Instead of being sad that you have to leave all of your toys when it's rest time, go ahead, take one with you, you know, Um, sort of just makes it makes it less stressful for everybody. But devil's advocate, do people say, oh, then they get distracted and they play and they don't go to sleep. So I'm actually okay with that. Um, I think that I think that a child being put down for nap time is is there to rest. And obviously sleep is ideal, but rest is almost as good. And just having the child be willing to go into their crib for nap time without protest. And even if they're just getting quiet time playing with 
a little book or a little toy. I'm good with that. That's fine. But is that nap time and bedtime? Uh, yeah, sure. At bedtime, I think it's less is less of a struggle because sleep pressure is, you know, they're tired. So, you know, I think that having a positive association with their crib or their sleep space is a good thing. And, um, you know, if they play for an extra 20 or 30 minutes before conking out, I think that that's a really healthy relationship to have with their sleep space rather than protesting and being angry that they're in there with nothing to do when they're not that tired. Yeah. And playing with a little toy gadget or little hardback book or something. is It's not like you're giving them an iPad and saying, go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They get bored. They, you know, they have their like board book that they flip through for 20 minutes and then they're like, okay, I'll go to sleep. So it works fine, I think. Okay. So I know one of the biggest struggles so many parents have, including myself, we've had this for years. I mean, my big boys, I actually, I lay with them until they fall asleep, but it actually usually only takes like 15 minutes. So I don't care, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I know people whose kids just don't give up. Um, my sister's one of them. Her daughter just, it takes forever to get her down. Um, and I know some of that has to do with, are we still napping? When are we napping? All those mm-hmm. things. There's so many factors. Are we at daycare? Are we not at daycare? Because naps are yeah. different when we're at daycare and when we're not. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe I'll just let you run with this, like, yeah, sure. Strategies for when it takes forever. And we'll say we're talking about two, three year olds. Yeah, sure. So what I will say is like, if we're going to compare the difference between you and your sister, the two scenarios, right? Um, you lying down with your kids, and it takes 10 or 15 minutes, and that works for you, then that's great. Like it's working like that works for you. That works for your children. It's like, it's fine for your family. Um, it sounds like what you're describing and your sister's situation is that it's not working, right? No. So so then something has to change. So I'm all for doing whatever works as long as it's working your, for your family, it's working for you, for your kids. If something is not working, then you have to make a change. Um, what that looks like in the case of your sister's family is probably that she needs to get out of the room at mm-hmm. bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her presence is probably not helping the situation. In your case, the pre- your presence is helping and that's fine. But in your sister's case, the present her presence is likely not helping her child to settle. She thinks it is, but it's not. So, you know, what I'd be recommending in that situation is for her to wean her way out of the room. So, if right now she is sitting on the edge of the bed or maybe even lying in bed with her child, I'd be telling her to sit on the floor or, you know, sit in the middle of the room and eventually work her way to the doorway and eventually work her way to the hallway. And, and it can be a slow, gradual process, but the point is for the child to acclimate to falling asleep with less support from a parent. And, you know, none of it gets better until the parent is out of the room. So that gradual progression towards the door and then eventually in the hallway is just intended to make it less stressful on everybody involved. But really the, the real magic happens when you make your way out of the room, you know? Um, so that's, that's how I would solve that problem. Um, there are so many other reasons for why bedtime could be difficult. As you said, like a nap at, a nap at daycare, um, you know, like, too much iPad time before bed. There could be a million different things, right? Um, and I think the key is looking at the big picture. And and you know, I think if we're talking about two and three year olds, you know, usually sleep is a numbers game. So like for two year olds, the average daily sleep requirement is about 
12 to 12 and a half hours. This is shocking to parents. Parents is that nighttime that they, naps? Yeah, that's total sleep. So okay. that's pretty shock. That's pretty shocking to most parents when I tell them that because they think that their two year old should be sleeping, you know, seven to seven and taking a two hour nap. Well, like that's not really super age appropriate. You know, some two year olds are able to do that. But a lot of two year olds are waking up at five o'clock in the morning because they're being put down at seven. And they're taking a two hour nap. So Mm -hmm. where does that land them with a 5am wake up, right? Mm -hmm. So I I like to look at sleep as a numbers game. Um, You know, if we're going to talk about three year olds, the average daily sleep requirement is 11 to 12 hours. So for for a child that's still napping, you know, a three year old at daycare that's taking a two hour nap might only want to sleep nine hours at night, which is just crazy. (laughs) But that's the reality, you know, so so if you're trying to put your three-year-old down at seven or seven thirty when they took a two-hour nap at daycare, that's going to be unfortunately a big fat struggle. Four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that happens. Parents call me and they're like, "My three-year-old's waking up at four o'clock in the morning for the day," <sighs> and like the answer is they're taking a nap and they're going to bed at seven. You know, so these are these are definitely the types of situations that come my way. And the way I see it is like, there is a solution. You just have to look at all the pieces of the puzzle and figure out like, what's, what's the missing link here. Yeah. And you have to adjust. I mean, you want them to sleep more because you want your alone time once they're in bed and you want your alone time when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And you know what, like parents, parent, that's true, but parents shouldn't feel selfish about making these choices for their children. And, you know, sleep is just as important for our children as it is for us. And nothing good comes from your four-year-old waking up at three-year-old waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning. Like that's just not good for anybody. It's not good for them either. So, you know, then you're in this vicious cycle. If they wake up at four o'clock in the morning, they need the nap because they can't survive Mm -hmm. bedtime, you know? So it's a really, really rough cycle to break, but it's worth it. I think for everybody involved, not just parents, but for their child as well. That's so tough if you do daycare, though, because you can't really tell the daycare uh, he needs to be excluded from naps because they have like it's a routine, really right. Yeah, it's a really, really rough thing that a lot of families deal with. And um, there, there's not an easy solution. I usually tell parents that they need to let go of that early bedtime. Yeah. If your kid is in daycare, like you have to let go of that. You know, I mean, it ha- it has to be OK for your three year old to go to bed at 8.30 or 8.45 at night, or sometimes even later, because mm-hmm. because they just, they're getting too much sleep. And if you don't have control over what's going on during the day, then you have to take charge of what's going on overnight, you know? And I think a later bedtime is better than 4 a.m., right? Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, having four kids myself, I can really speak to the fact that different kids do need different amounts of sleep. My, yes. my oldest has always gotten up early and he still does. He's eight and he, he's usually up at five 30 or six. My second, he he'll sleep until eight sometimes. And it's just their needs, their sleep needs are totally different. Their activity levels are probably a little bit different. So there's just a lot of factors there. I am Definitely. comforted in your, um, making your way out of the room strategy because lately our, two and a half year old, we, because we got into the habit and we just let it happen. We let him fall asleep in our arms and then transfer him to the crib. 
well, he's been waking up when we transfer him. So (laughs) I did this thing the other night. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go back in there and pick him up and let him fall asleep in my arms again. I'm just going to lay down by his crib. And it worked. It was great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my and, husband, and I would I would argue that you should start that way. Like, I wouldn't yes. have him fall asleep in yes. your arms first, you know, because then you're sort of like tricking him. Then he thinks he's getting to sleep in your arms, but then he wakes up when he hits the crib and he's upset that he's not in your arms. So I would I would advise you to start with the lying on the floor and be clear about what what sleep is going to look like on both ends, like for you and for him, right? Uh-huh. And then and then wean your way. So if you're lying right beside his crib, then maybe two nights later, you're in the middle of the room. And then two nights later, you're sitting by the door. And then you're in the hallway where he can still see you, but you're like physically outside the room. And then, you know, maybe two nights later, you're sitting on the other edge of the door on the other side of the door. We're like, maybe he can see your feet poking through, but he can't see your face, you know, <laughs> so you just gradually, gradually wean your way out of the picture so that he can confidently fall asleep without physically seeing you. Okay. I'm loving this. We have started doing the, my husband is usually the one to put him down because I'm usually doing the four-year-old. Um, he has started doing that. He starts off laying by the crib and so I'm going to tell him, we're going to do that. We're going to start inching our way to the door. Yeah. And I'm loving that. I don't know why. I think we just weren't doing that originally because like you were talking about earlier, it was working. Like he was fine with falling asleep and we would put him down. Um, and also he's our fourth kid. So we're like, we're not doing this ever again. And yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you know, like. Right. The snuggles, the snuggles feel good when it's your last baby. Right. But. Now that this has happened, it's like, okay, no, no, we ha- we need to find a solution. I mean, my husband doesn't want to lay on the floor next to his bed for an hour every single night. So no, definitely not. We will, uh, we will attempt that strategy. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. Beam's mission is to empower people to push their limits and pursue their passions by improving their physical and mental wellness. All right, here's what I want to tell you about. Their Dream Blend, which is a powder blend that I take every night before bed, has greatly improved my ability to sleep at night. I conk out and it is so amazing after years of struggling with falling asleep and staying asleep, this Dream Powder has significantly helped me. And I don't mess with sleep, so I wouldn't say that unless it was like totally happening. (laughs) This is a warm blend And it's a healthy take on hot chocolate, helping your body and mind wind down for the night. This product has no THC in it. It is third party tested. And I just boil some hot water on the stove and then I pour it in to my mug and mix it up with my dream blend. And that is my nightly ritual. I look forward to it. I get all my kids to bed. It takes five 100,000 hours to get them to bed. And once they're in bed, I sit in my bed and drink my Dream Blend. It's amazing. Um, They also have an amazing hydration line that has awesome electrolyte products that I also take for pre-workout, post-workout. Really big fan of all of their products. So go to beamtlc.com. Use the code Lindsay15. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. 15 and you can save 15% off your order. All right. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Check us out on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions to get all the latest news on all of the podcasts across the network. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Jane Havens. 
I think along the theme of, you know, realizing our kids maybe need less sleep than we might have thought, depending on who the kid is, let's talk about taking away naps. I know it's out of the control of us if our kids are in daycare. If they're not in daycare, however, what's the kind of strategy you would go by? Or maybe they're in an in-home and it's a little bit more lax on on what they do. Yeah, sure. So I personally think that you should preserve the nap for as long as possible. Um, it's a huge transition for a child. If you think about a child, whether they're two, three, whatever, that's uh, still napping, they're only awake for what, five or six hours at any given time before they get a rest, a sleep. And then you take that nap away and then all of a sudden they're awake for like 12 hours at a time. <laughs> it's, it's a huge, huge difference. So I personally like to preserve the nap as long as possible. As a child gets older, usually the nap will start happening later and later and later, right? Like you think of nap time as being like 1230 or one, but then at a certain point, your kid's not tired at one. So then what do you do? You turn it into 130 and then they're not tired at 130. So you turn it into two and then it becomes 230 and then it becomes three. And then you're starting to worry, like, is this going to affect bedtime? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, yes, it is going to affect bedtime, but the alternative is your child being awake for 12 hours, which is really, really hard for a three-year-old. So I personally choose a late nap that impacts bedtime over ditching it altogether. Um, if that isn't the way that your family operates and you just would rather your kid go to bed at seven, but have a meltdown starting at four thirty or five, <laughs> then like, then that's fine, right? Like every parent has to decide what works for them. Um, but, but it's a rough transition. I think that, I think that preserving the nap, even if it's late, even if it means that bedtime is late, I personally like that. Um, when it's finally time to throw in the towel, um, I like to implement quiet time and I, I actually don't implement quiet time the way that I think most sleep consultants talk about quiet time. I'm a little unconventional. Um, I don't think that quiet time needs to be the child alone in their bed or crib in their room for an hour. I don't think that that's what quiet time has to look like. Um, I actually think that that oftentimes turns into a major power struggle uh -huh. that is the total opposite of quiet time, right? So for sure. quiet time, right? That's not quiet time if you're fighting with your kid about staying in bed when they're not tired, right? That's why people get so, up. It's not worth it. <laughs> It's not worth it. So that's not quiet time. Quiet time is a walk in the stroller if the weather is nice. Um, it's sitting on the couch, listening to music or an audio book. If you're chill about screen time, it's throwing on a little Cocoa Melon or Sesame Street. It's actual just rest, you know, mm -hmm. it's downtime. Mm -hmm. It's whatever your child needs to just chill out for an hour or 90 minutes and and it can look different for different families, um, but but it doesn't need to be alone in bed with a child learning that they have to stay put for an hour. I think that that creates a major power struggle and and is just like the total opposite of rest, you know. If, and that's really what it's intended to be. And do you have a typical age that people are generally coming yeah. to you asking, like, is it time? It's usually like three, three and a half okay. and somewhere in there, look, there are kids that still nap at four and a half, Yeah, you know, it happens, but usually somewhere around three, three and a half is when you really can ditch the nap without too much struggle. 
We have a neighbor friend that every once in a while on the weekend, her son is seven and she like makes him nap sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I just laugh because if I told my eight-year-old or my six-year-old that they had to nap, they'd be like, what are yeah, you talking about? Same. Right. That's funny, but uh, good for her. Yeah, no, they're super structured and like, you know, like the kind of theme of this conversation, like if it's working for you, great, do it. Yeah, um, that that is 100% my motto. You know, everybody thinks that like sleep consultants are out there to force you to sleep train your babies and, and get them on a schedule and do this and do that. And like, no, we're there to support parents that are looking for yes. guidance and support through whatever is not working for them. That's really what it's all about. If, if what you're doing is working, then like, awesome. Congratulations. Keep doing you. And if what you're doing is not working, then I think seeking out some support and some help through the process of making a change is a really valid thing. I love that so much. How do you feel about random afternoon car naps? Oh God, those are such a beast, right? Like, <laughs> um, you know, okay. So like for a child that's like pretty much not napping anymore and, and they take a 20 minute snooze in the car, sometimes that's all they need mm -hmm. to then properly function for the rest of the day without losing their minds. Right. So that, that nap can be a good thing. Um, but like if your child is still napping, let's say they're three and they're napping usually around two o'clock, but they're in the car at one and they pass out for 10 minutes. Well, like that, that was the nap. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to get a nap. Yes. You know, if you're, if your three-year-old is used to napping at two and you don't make it home in time and your kid passes out in the car for a few minutes, that often makes nap time really, really challenging. I mean, I remember that being, it was a much bigger deal to me with my first two kids, really. Because once I got to three and four, I was kind of like, Whoa, you know, everything was kind yeah. of a hot mess anyway. <laughs> Sure. Like, yeah, it is what it is. I kind of like took on the it is what it is mentality. But I remember yeah, you have to, especially with my first, it was like devastating to me. If yeah, <laughs> he fell asleep for that, those 10 minutes. And like, that was my like hour and a half of nap time, yep. just totally out the drain. And I was a stay at home mom at the time, too. So it was extra like, that was my time. Yeah, I totally identify with that. I had that with my son, my first also. And, you know, now on the other side of things, it seems so obvious to me, but it's so funny when I start working with a new family mm -hmm. and, you know, they'll tell me they went out like, you know, strawberry picking and she fell asleep in the car for five minutes and then she wouldn't nap. And it was like, obviously, but like, you know, people don't know until they, until they experience it. Yeah. And, and it's kind of one of those things, which it's, like looking back, like you said, it's easy for me to say now to a new mom, like, oh, it's fine. It is what it is. But yeah. in that moment, it doesn't feel fine. It feels like, oh my gosh, I was so desperate for that hour of alone time. And it's totally wiped. That being said, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I remember lots of times, and I still do this with my younger ones now, if they do fall asleep. I just sit in the car and read for a little bit and let them get yeah. their nap in yeah. the way, right? Absol yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, okay. How about nightmares? I know we're kind of going back to middle of the night stuff, but um, yeah. we talked about being scared a little bit. I actually have never had a child have night terrors or anything like that. And I'm super grateful, but I know that people do. And that, how do you deal with it? What do you do? Yeah. So I'm not sure if nightmares and night terrors are the same thing, but night okay. I don't think they are. Night terrors are usually described as an experience when the child 
wakes up screaming, but like, they're actually not really awake. Mm -hmm. They're just like, so out of their minds and like, they're not awake and they're just screaming and sort of inconsolable. Um, that is usually a result of being overtired usually. Um, and, and the best way to handle that is an earlier bedtime or, you know, it's sort of like a schedule modification. Um, and then like nightmare, when you say nightmares, I think of Mm -hmm. bad dreams. Yes. Um, and I think that that happens to older kids. I'm not quite sure when that really kicks in. I don't know if truthfully, if we really can know for sure, but, um, you know, I think that kicks in a little bit with older like preschoolers. Um, and, and when that happens, if it's not an every night thing, then like you comfort your child and you get them a sip of water and maybe you take them to the bathroom and, and sing them a song and tuck them back in bed. And, and then hopefully the next night is better. You know, if it's starting to become a thing every single night, which I, I don't really get a lot of calls about that. So I I don't think that that's very common, but if it was becoming an every single thing, then I think maybe there's some work to be done during the day, you know, um, like what is it that the child is so scared of? What is, what sort of things are coming out in these dreams that, that can be sort of hashed out during the daytime? I like that. I know I was thinking about that because with video games and what are you watching? I mean, as an adult, I don't like watching yeah. anything anxiety inducing, you know, right before bed. Of course. Right. Most yeah. of us probably aren't giving our kids things to watch that are anxiety inducing, but I think that's really important to walk through the day and think, okay, what all did we do? What all are we talking about? What are we singing? What are we doing in our bedtime routines? Um, yeah. And just like whatever the child is scared of, having them talk about that mm-hmm. during the day mm-hmm. and trying to sort of get to the root of the problem. Like, what is it that they're scared of and why are they thinking about this? And and really sort of helping them work through it so that in the middle of the night, they have the tools to realize that whatever they're worried about is just silly stuff in their minds. Um, I know this is complicated because you're not a doctor, but what do you do when people ask you about melatonin? Okay, so um, <laughs> so it, it's you know melatonin uh, helps children to fall asleep, but not to stay asleep. Uh-huh. So for that reason, I don't like melatonin because it's sort of similar to like all the other sleep aids that parents are using, like sitting in the room Mm -hmm. or rock. It's really no different than like rocking your child to sleep or sitting with them while they fall asleep. It sort of cheats the process Mm -hmm. of them learning that skill of falling asleep independently. And then they wake up in the middle of the night and you can't give them more melatonin. Mm -hmm. So, so that then they don't have the skill to get themselves back to sleep. Mm in the middle of the night. Now, what I will say is I do think that melatonin melatonin has its place. For example, for a child that has always been a really solid sleeper and for whatever reason they like bedtime has gotten really out of control, you know, maybe you use melatonin for a couple of nights just to like reset bedtime so that your child forgets that that they are like going to throw it, you know, for mm-hmm. a child that's throwing a tantrum every night before bedtime, you know, if you use melatonin for a week and then the tantrums stop because they're just too tired to have a tantrum, then, you know, a week later you take them off the melatonin and the tantrum thing has sort of gone away, right? Because it's not a habit anymore. So in that case, I'm okay with it, but I always think that it should be 
you know, used only with the pediatrician's approval. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's really, I don't think it's ever the end game. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's maybe a tool that could be used on a very short term basis to sort of knock out something that's becoming a problem. But I, I don't love it for like regular use. I feel the same way. And we will use it like if we're on a trip or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. And yeah. people are okay. super wound up and we're like, we're done. It's kind of like, yeah. okay, here, you know, but yeah, we, we don't use it on the regular, but in, in moments of like desperation or like you said, someone's transitioning, um, we just say, I think that tonight's a good night for a bedtime gummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also there, I should say there are some children, you know, I know kids with ADHD that take melatonin every sure. night and like, they just really need it to wind down. And their doctor says it's a good idea for them to take sure. it. I would never say to them that that's a bad idea. If that's working for them and their pediatrician says that they should do it, then they should do it. But for the average toddler, that's just like not in a good groove. I don't think melatonin is really a long-term solution. I like that. Um, okay, how do you feel about kids sleeping together, like bunk beds or, you know, beds side yeah. by side or whatever? Okay, so I have a lot of families that I work with that live in small sleep spaces, right? Like I have a lot of clients in New York City and, you know, maybe they only have a two bedroom apartment and they have two or three kids. So like kids are bunked up together. Um, I think that sleep can be under control and really solid while children share rooms. But I also think that like most kids sleep better in their own sleep space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not, it's not a deal breaker, but if, if kids could have their own sleep spaces, I think that makes it usually easier for everybody involved. Now, every once in a while, a family will come my way and say like, my kids only sleep well if they're in the same room. And, and again, like do what works for you. If that works, then like, great, you know, and, and if it's not working, then, then you have to figure out another solution. But I guess it sort of falls into my general, you know, my general blanket statement that like, if it's working, no need to make a change. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working, and you have the ability to make a change, then I think you should make a change. And if you don't, then you have to work on it, right? Like we all have to operate under the confines of the space that we have and, and we do the best that we can. Yeah, our six and eight-year-old share a room, and it's great now, but it's like when I said I took my younger, my oldest out of the crib too early, same thing with my third taking him, or my second taking him out of the crib too early. They were in a room together too soon for our family. I mean, it was just not necessary, and we had the space. We just jumped the gun, and you know, with our third being in that crib all by himself in a room, he's gives us the least amount of trouble, you know, and I, yeah. I think that... Sometimes I get tempted. I'm like, oh, we could put him in with the big boys or him and um, he and the <laughs> yeah. two-year-old can share a room. But I'm like, they can, but they don't need to right now. I don't know why we get antsy yeah. to jump the gun. I don't know. Sometimes parents think those sort of things will be fun. Yeah. And then they're not, right? It like, sounds fun to have them share in a room. Sounds fun. Yeah. And, you know, if your kids have to share a room because you don't have the space or or if you decide to make that choice because you feel like it really is the right fit for your children, I think the most important piece of the puzzle is to advance your kids with information mm. and, and expectations for what like the ground rules are, you know, um, you know, whether bedtime is going to be at the same time for both kids or whether they're staggered. 
and what the rules are after lights are out and, and just make sure that everybody's under the same impression about what sleep should look like if they're going to share a room. That is so great. And it really goes along the lines of Wendy Snyder, who is one of my favorite guests on the show. Um, I've had her on this show twice and on one of my other podcasts twice. And uh, she's a positive parenting educator. And that is one of the things she preaches so much is that those agreements ahead of time. It's like so important to have agreements ahead of time instead of just getting mad in the middle of the night or just getting upset when they should know better. It's like, but if you actually have an agreement and maybe if they're old enough, you have them sign a paper and that's part of the agreement. It's so helpful. Totally. I love that. Yeah. I think she and I would get along. I always say I'm like the queen of advancing my kids information. I love telling my kids every step of the way, what's about to happen and what's expected of them, because then there's no there's no breakdown, you know, like they know exactly what's going to happen. Um, I do that. Like when we're driving home from school, I say to them, you know, all right, guys, who wants to tell me what the afternoon's going to look like? And they know exactly what it is because it's the same every day. And that way, when they start to complain, when we transition from one thing to the next, I say to them, like, guys, we went over this, you know, like, you know, exactly what's going to happen at every step of the way. And same thing, just a reminder from our better screen time episode we had, it's like, Same thing with technology. If you come up with a plan ahead of time and everybody knows that's your family plan, no, it's not always going to be easy. Yes, they will complain sometimes and there will be issues, but just having those expectations set up, I love the idea of that. Um, Okay, just like a couple more points here. Uh, One, bedtime taking forever. I know we talked about like my sister and not being able to get out of the room, but you know, kids, especially toddlers, I mean, even my six-year-old, like they want to delay bedtime. They want to read 12 more books that, you know, and you feel bad. You're like, I, I know I should be reading to you, but like really three books is enough. So yeah, how do we keep that um, to not take an hour, you know? Yeah. So I think that this is a little bit age appropriate, but like a, a um, an approach that I take with toddlers, like two, three, even four-year-olds, is sometimes I'll recommend to parents that they create a bedtime book or or it could even be a checklist, you know, mm. and it basically outlines everything that happens in the bedtime routine. And, that. you know, kids, if you make a checklist, you can do it like you could do it on a piece of paper and put like let the kid put a sticker by every single thing once it happens, you know. So we go to the bathroom, we brush our teeth, we you know, get into bed and read two stories and then we sing a song and then we turn on our nightlight and, you know, all the ridiculous things that we have to do. (laughs) We get a last sip of water, whatever the things are, right? You build them all into the routine. You just, just like we talked about before, you agree upon the routine in advance. It's in the book or it's on the checklist and you go through each of those items and then and then that's it. That's that's it. Everybody agrees that that's what the bedtime routine is. Um, I do have a tool that I use with sometimes older kids, like four, five, six-year-olds, that's highly effective. It's called the bedtime pass. And the bedtime pass, basically, it's exactly as it sounds. It's a pass to get out of bed. So let's say your kid's five years old and you give them three bedtime passes. You could decorate little index cards or you know whatever you want to make them. And every time your child gets out of bed, they have to turn in a bedtime pass. And, you know, after they're out of bedtime passes, that's it. Like no more getting out of bed. I mean, if they do, you just walk them right back. You're out of passes, go back to bed. And in the morning, whatever passes they have left, they can redeem for like a treat or a prize or 
a quarter or a dollar, whatever it is, like your, whatever your child's currency is. Um, so it's sort of like a built-in reward system and incentive system. And that works really, really well because kids do not like to give up those bedtime passes. They like to hold on tight to those little index cards. So, you know, if you have a child that's getting out of bed, you know, I need to go to the bathroom again. I need an extra sip of water. I want another kiss, whatever it is you know, they turn in a bedtime pass. And and then that's sort of like one last little thing for them in the morning. It works really well. I love that idea. I've never heard of that. I was going to ask you about incentives. We we went through a rough stage recently with like everybody getting up, like all four of them. And (laughs) we had three nights in a row where nobody got us up. And I was like, we're going to Target. Everybody gets a $10 toy. And it was like, I don't know if this is right. Like, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I am because I'm so excited that I got three nights in a row of sleep. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, again, this falls into the category of like, whatever works for you. I implemented, I I implemented yesterday that I'm paying my kids $1 a day to go down to the basement together to play without me Uh one hour. Okay. Like after school, they eat dinner. Yeah, a dollar a day. And then on the weekend, we'll like go to five and below or Target or whatever, and they can spend their money. And, you know, I don't know, is that right or wrong? I have no idea. But it's working <laughs> for it's working for now. Um, what I will say about incentives is that you have to stay one step ahead of your children. And that doesn't necessarily mean upping the ante. It just means that you need to be ahead. Like, you know, if you're giving your child a quarter for every morning, you know, every night that they sleep through the night, at some point, they're not going to care about that quarter anymore. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize that before they realize that, right? So, so you just have to stay on top of it. And, And maybe your child doesn't need a quarter anymore. Maybe your child just wants to be able to FaceTime grandma or tell their teacher in school. It doesn't need to necessarily be a prize. It can just be a way to make them feel really proud of themselves. Um, but you just have to sort of stay ahead of it so that they don't burn out from whatever sort of strategy or, or token that you're using. Oh, that's a really good idea. Um, do you ask your kids or do you just pay attention? Like as far as what do you mean? (laughs) Well, like when you're like the quarter's not working anymore. Are you like, hey, what's gonna lure you into doing this? Right? Yeah. So, so I like to change it up before it's not working it, Uh while it's still sort of working. Uh Like you can tell when when a child is just like doing well, but like they don't really care about the quarter or whatever it is. Then you interject at that moment, like you know what? I'm so proud of you. You've been doing so good overnight. Like every night's been so great. Do you want to see if we have time to call grandma in the morning? If you wake up and you've slept through the night, let's call grandma and brag to her about it. I feel like she'd really want to know, you know, Mm. or let's make a, let's make a video for your teacher and send it to her. You know, um, you just have to sort of beat them to the punch and, and get it before it's too late. I love that. Okay, you guys, I am not the expert. I've been telling my two-year-old that Blippi is going to be proud of him if he sleeps in his bed all night. Do I have any yeah, idea if that works? But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Whatever, again, whatever works, right? I think that's that's what this episode is all about. Just like whatever works, you do. And when it's not working, then you have to pivot. Oh, that's so great. Okay, friends, you can learn more from Jane. Her Instagram, she educates people over there. Snooze Fest by Jane Havens. Also, her website, thesnoozefest.com. Jane, can you just share briefly what it looks like when someone comes to you and hires you for help? 
Sure. So um, I have two options for support. The first is an ask me anything call, which is basically like a pick your brain session. You get 45 minutes of my time and I will help you problem solve, troubleshoot, whatever it is that you're up against. Um, the second option is I do what I call my two-week consultation. And what that looks like is you would fill out a pretty detailed questionnaire all about your child and, and whatever is going on sleep-wise in your home. And I would build out a customized written sleep plan for you. And that plan would outline, you know, an age-appropriate daytime schedule for naps and, and communication strategies for older children. It would describe a really solid bedtime routine. And then usually, typically, a few different strategies for how to um, teach your child to fall asleep more independently, both at bedtime and then back to sleep in the middle of the night. And then we get on a phone call. We talk about it. We make sure that the plan aligns with you know, your parenting style and that you feel comfortable with at least some sort of aspect, something that's in there. And then you have my support via text message for two weeks. And then we usually do a follow-up phone call at the end. So that's what it looks like. I really try to support families in a way that works for them. Um, you know, I always say that sleep, there's no one size fits all approach to this stuff. I meet families where they are. I provide them with a solid plan and I, you know, we, we just implement with as much consistency as possible. That is so great. Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show again. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. All right, friends, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Jane, for coming on the show. Don't forget to find Jane on Instagram, Snooze Fest by Jane Havens. You can find us on Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? Make sure you give us a follow because we are going to be doing some Instagram lives with our guests, including Jane. You can find me personally on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. Thank you to today's sponsor, Beam. Go to beam.tlc.com. Use the code lindsay15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Check out their dream blend helping parents all around the world sleep better. One hot cup of water with a mix of dream at a time. I thought that was going to be kind of cute and fun, but as it started rolling off my tongue, I realized it really wasn't that witty or funny. Anyway, thanks for being here today. I hope that you took some information from this episode that is helpful in your sleep journey with your children. One of the hardest things about parenting by far, in my opinion. Uh, have a really great rest of your week and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?